I'll be reading the second Bible reading, um, and that's from Philippians 3, verses 12 to, to chapter three, chapter 4, verse 1. So, here we go. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take, take such a view of things, and if on some point, some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is is destruction. Their God is their stomachs, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is, is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glory, glorious body. Therefore, my brothers... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mary. Now, it'll be good if you keep your Bibles open up to that passage. We'll be working our way through that passage. Now, on the way in, you should have received an outline. You might find that helpful. Now, also another thing, um, with the newsletter, from now on, we'll be uh, trying to let you know what's happening the following week. So if you look on your newsletter, the front page there, you'll find there that next week we'll be considering the next bit of Philippians, so Philippians chapter 4, 2 to 9. Um, and there's also a question each week for you to think about, to read the passage and also to think about for the following week. So some of you might find this helpful, reflecting on what will be preached the next week. So next week, what what is the what what the Christian life should look like? Okay, so consider that. Okay, well let's look at this passage. Uh, let's turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll give us all humble hearts, humble hearts that we may hear you speak to us, and humble hearts that are ready to be transformed by your word and by the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever heard of the expression, Christians are so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good? Heard of that expression before? So heavenly-minded that they are no good at all on earth. What are your thoughts? Is that a true statement? Well, let's think about it. Christians do think about heaven quite a fair bit, don't we? And we focus on the afterlife, after we die, what will happen after we're eaten by the worms, 
what will happen? We think about heaven, don't we? Now, in heaven, we think about, well, in heaven it will be great. We won't grow old there. Not that growing old is a bad thing here on earth. The older, the wiser, I say. So the oldest amongst us here, the wisest amongst us. Well, we think about heaven. If we're not too good looking here, perhaps in heaven we'll get a new face, a better face. Now, here on earth, we've got some of us are married, husband or, and have a husband or wife. Now, in heaven, we might not like our husband or wife here, but in heaven, you know what? There's no marriages. How good is that? No, that's, that's not right. We treasure our husband and wife, the, the ones God has given us here on earth. Now, in heaven, we won't get hungry or thirsty. How good is that? In heaven, there will be plenty. There will be an abundance. Heaven is often described as this big feast. And so we focus on heaven quite a fair bit. But is that of any use for us here on earth? We also focus on heaven, especially during tough times. Now this last week I was on a short mission at, at this place in the country. Now, in the country you can shoot kangaroos, that, those type of places. Perhaps not drawn, but anyway, I was there for a couple of days. And on Tuesday night we had a, a, a Bible study and I was leading one to, uh, leading a group, predominantly old ladies. Now one of these ladies in my group, we were talking about prayer, and one of these ladies shared about how hard it is to make sense of the Christian hope. She said she had a friend who was sexually abused as a child. Now her friend lived a very damaged life. She was thinking, what hope is there for someone like that? What hope is there for her? Now the answers, the, the answers people were giving in this study was, well, think of heaven. Heaven will be great. Heaven will be perfect. And so again, Christians tend to think about heaven quite a fair bit, especially in tough times. And if you think about it, we talk about heaven to our non-Christian friends as well, don't we? And when we try to explain the gospel of Jesus, we tend to ask, so what do you think after you die? Do you believe in heaven? We use heaven quite a lot. So what do you think about that statement? Are Christians so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good? Well, what I suspect is that many of us here, what is true is perhaps the flip side of that. And that is the things that really fill our minds, the things that we worry about, the things we stress about, tend to more be earthly things. I suspect that for many of us, we're not thinking so much about heaven, but earthly things. I mean, there, there is heaven, we know that, but I suspect that for many of us, we're quite complacent about heaven. We're apathetic. It's going to happen. We, we don't tend to think about it in that way. So is that the case here, that we tend to think more about earthly things? Earthly things fill our minds. So what do you reckon? Too heavenly focus, too earthly focus. What are we? Who are we? And what are we meant to be? Are we meant to be so heavenly focused? Or are we meant to be thinking about earthly things? Well, I hope our passage today will help us answer that as we consider Paul, the apostle, and consider what he taught and what he thought. And so let's now look at our passage. So what's really going on here? 
Well, it really goes without saying that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, did set his mind on heavenly things. Have a look at the opening verse, verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. Now, what's this, this, T-H-I-S, what's this, this that he's referring to here? What is it that he hasn't yet obtained? Well, he's referring to what he mentions in the previous two verses, so verses 10 and 11. He, he mentions three main things. Firstly, it's to know Christ. He hasn't yet fully uh, known, he hasn't yet fully known Christ. He doesn't yet fully know Christ. And that goes with any relationship if you think about it. It takes time to know someone. And so he knows Christ, but he doesn't yet fully know Christ. But that is what he's striving to obtain. And it goes with any relationship. It takes time to know people. When I first got married to Yvonne, I knew Yvonne pretty well by then. Uh, We were dating for quite a number of years. I knew her pretty well. But the longer we've been together, the more quirks of hers I found out. The more weird things of her. So I'm by now about nine years married. I know her a lot better. More of her quirks, her good things as well. She does have some good things. A lot of good things. So Paul wanted to fully know Christ. He hasn't yet obtained that goal. He wants to fully know God, uh, Christ, know the glory of Christ, the power of Christ, the love of Christ. But he's not there yet. Now the other thing Paul wants, he hasn't yet obtained, is to become like Christ, to become like his Lord. Paul was not yet perfect like Christ, but that was what he was striving for. He was a faithful servant. He worked hard to serve God and to serve Christ. But Paul the Apostle still struggled with sin. Now you may be familiar with this verse in Romans 6. He goes on to say, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Bit of a tongue twister, but Paul is expressing his struggle with sin. And so Paul's not yet perfect. He's not yet like his Lord, but that is what he's striving to be. Now the third thing he wants to attain, he hasn't obtained yet, and that is the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead. Paul was not yet raised from the dead. He was still alive when he was writing this letter. That was not, that has not happened yet, but he was looking forward to that. So three things. To know Christ fully, to be like Christ, and to be raised to resurrection life. So three things he was trying, striving to obtain, but he has not yet obtained. But we see here that Paul was an he- a heavily minded man. He had his mind set on heaven because these are the things of heaven. They're the goals of heaven, to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to have resurrection life. Paul set his mind on this path. He was straining towards this goal. The image here given here is it's a bit like an athlete, just like those Olympic athletes. He's striving towards that goal. And he's forgetting his past. Especially, think about Paul's past. He was one who persecuted the church of Christ. So he's forgetting about that, forgetting about, forgetting about all his sins and flaws. He's striving towards that goal, the goal of heaven. And this is what we see in verses 12 and 13. So have a look at me, 12 and 13. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to yet have to have taken hold of it. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And so we see here that Paul was a heavily, heavenly-minded man. He was straining towards that future, the goal of heaven. Now we must think, why would Paul do that? Why did Paul set his mind on this thing way in the future? Why wasn't he concerned about his present situation? He was in prison, remember, when he wrote this letter. Why was he thinking about these heavenly things? What good was that for him now? Well, you see, these were the things that God called him to... These were, this was God's calling to Paul, God's calling of Paul to. You see, this was the goal, the prize, the medal that God called Paul to. Now, this is God's calling for all Christians, if you think about it. Now, often we tend to think about God's calling as something a little less important, something quite minor in life. We hear people talk about God's calling is, God calls me to the ministry, or God calls me to be a a doctor or a lawyer. God's calling in my life is that I I become an, an, an accountant. Now, I'm not sure if any accountants will say that that's God's calling, but I'm sure some doctors will say God's calling. But, but is that what God's calling is really about? You know, that God calls me to this job, to marry this person, to, to marry that person? Well, I don't think so. God actually has a bigger calling for our life. It's not to create, it's not to marry this person or that person. You see, God's calling is far greater, it's far grander than that. God's calling for Christians are the things of heaven. They're the things in the future, the gold, the price, the metal that Paul was driving towards. And so here it's no wonder why Paul set his mind on heaven. God has called him to great things, to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be raised to resurrection life. That was the prize that he was straining towards, far greater than what we tend to think God's calling is about. And this is what we see in verse 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So from these opening verses, we see that Paul was a heavenly-minded man. He set his mind on heaven. That was his goal, and he's straining towards that. Now, Paul not only thought about these things for himself, this was not only his prize or his goal, but it was in fact the goal of all Christians Now, Paul makes this appeal to the Philippians that they should think this same way, that the Philippians should imitate Paul, that the Philippians should um, notice those who think the same way as Paul. And this is what we see in verses 15 to 17. Have a look, verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Now, why do you think Paul made this appeal to the Philippians? Remember that the Philippians, they lived in a colony called Philippi. That was a Roman Roman colony. It was a wealthy colony. Because they had full Roman rights there, full Roman rights and privileges. 
Now, this colony was settled by the Romans about 100 years before, before Paul wrote this letter. They, they settled there after this. The Roman general Antony and, and Octavian, they had a civil war there. They won. And so there were a whole stack of Roman soldiers left in northern Greece with nothing to do. Now, Octavian, he didn't want to return these soldiers back to Rome. Because if you think about it, thousands of soldiers entering into the capital, they had enough military power there to overthrow the city, to take the throne and to take the empire. And so Octavian, he settled the people in Philippi. And so Philippi then became quite a wealthy city, a colony. It was filled later on with retired soldiers. It was like a little Rome outside of Rome. And so if we know that, we can see why Paul was writing this to them. You see, that was an important colony, and they would have known that. But Paul was urging them, don't be happy with your current situation. There is a prize ahead. There is a goal. You see, they were wealthy. They would have been happy, uh, content. They were comfortable. They probably had it all. They had full Roman rights, at the least. And so they were wealthy in the world, but Paul said, Paul is saying to them, don't be content yet. You haven't finished the race. There is a, the goal, the medal ahead of you. And so Paul wanted them to see that there is more and better things to look forward to in life. The things of heaven. They were probably content with what they had on earth. But Paul wanted them to strive for the things of heaven. Paul wanted them to not lose sight of the prize, you see. Paul wanted them to finish well. And that goes with any sport, doesn't it? It it sort of, it matters how you start, but it doesn't really matter how much you start as much as how how you finish. How you finish is a lot more important. Now, you might remember this story from the 2004 Athens Olympics. Now, this was um, Sally Robbins, the one lying back. She was part of the women's eight rowing finals. So this was the finals. Now, with only 500 metres to go, what did she do? She sort of dropped her oar and she laid back. She sort of gave up. And, of course, the Australian team came last. But the Australian team, they actually did quite well. At about a 1,000 metre mark, they were running third. But because of this, they finished terribly. They lost. And so Paul here was appealing to the Philippians. You want to be finishing well. Don't be complacent. You might be a Roman citizen. You might have all those rights, but there are better things to look forward to. The goal and prize of heaven. And so Paul was urging them to be like Paul, to imitate Paul. And so that's so good. That's good so far, but we need to think a bit more about this. There is this prize in heaven awaiting all Christians. It's, a, it's like that gold medal for all Christians, and it's the medal that all Christians get. No silver medal. No first losers. So all Christians will be getting the same prize. Think about that. We will be getting the same things as Paul, as all those great Christians throughout history, as John Calvin. We'll be getting the same prize as them. To know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be raised to resurrection life. That's the prize awaiting all Christians. But then I think we need to come back to that question I asked at the beginning, that statement. Can we be so heavenly minded 
that we are really of no earthly good. What do you think? <coughs> well, as I said at the beginning, I don't really think the issue for Christians today is, is that we're too heavenly minded. I think the issue for Christians, and I suspect for many of us, is that we're too earthly minded. We're too concerned about the things in this world. And that was perhaps the temptation that the Philippians experienced too. They were living in a wealthy city. They were comfortable. Life was good. But now Paul warns them. (coughs) Excuse me. Paul warns them. Paul warns them about those who set their minds on earthly things. Now Paul writes this bit with tears. You see, Paul doesn't take joy at all in knowing that there are people who are lost. Now, these people are described as enemies of the cross, enemies of the cross of Christ, and so they're enemies of God. And what do these people live for? (coughs) Excuse me. We're told here that their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. Oh, wow, thank you. <laughs> that might help. I might not be able to preach you with that in my mind. <coughs> But that's a strange expression, isn't it? Their God is their belly. Now, the ancient writers, this was their way of expressing those who were ruled by their passions, those who live for their food, uh, for what they drink, for, for sex, for fleshly indulgences. They serve their bellies. And then we're told here their glory is their shame. And they set their minds on earthly things. And so Paul talks about these people. Paul warns against being like these people. Because what's their end? Their end is destruction. Have a look at verse 18 to 19 with me. He says... For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. So Paul is saying this is the way with the world. People are living for the moment, living for the time. There's nothing more to look forward to. But Paul is saying don't be like them. Don't live as though that... There's only earthly things. Instead, Paul now reminds them of who they are and where they in fact belong. Look at verse 20. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul was reminding them that their real home is heaven. That was where their real home is and that's why they had to set their minds on heaven. That was their home. Though life was good in Philippi, Heaven was where they belonged. And now that had real implications for how they are to live in Philippi. Now now you see, as citizens of Rome, they're not living in Rome, but they're citizens of Rome, they were living in this Roman colony in Philippi. But as they lived there, they were trying to live as Roman citizens. They were trying to uh, match their life to what it would be in Rome. And so uh, that would affect their culture, their social structure. It will be all like Rome. And not only that, they will also worship their emperor, just like those in Rome. They will worship their emperor as the saviour and lord. In the ancient world, it was their cult. 
the ancient world, the emperors had the title of saviour and lord. They were seen as the saviour and lord of the Roman Empire. And so those in Philippi, they wanted to match their life to what it was like in Rome. But here, notice what Paul's doing. He's reminding them that they have a far greater calling than that. Don't just live in Philippi like you're living in Rome. Live in Philippi as though it was a colony of heaven. So they had to live in Philippi as though it was a colony of heaven. They had to live lives fitting for heaven. And they were to worship, not the emperor as Lord and Saviour, they had to worship Jesus Christ as the real Lord and Saviour. And so from this we can see why Paul was so heavenly minded. The things of heaven have real implications for life on earth. Christians are to live lives fit for heaven. And so that statement at the beginning, are Christians so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good? Well, I think it's in fact the opposite. It's the opposite. Heaven, I mean, Christians must be so heavenly minded so that they are of earthly good. Just imagine how society would be if Christians live as though they were living in heaven. Think about that. Everyone will be honest. People of integrity, of righteousness, of upright lives. Everyone will be kind and gentle, loving, compassionate and merciful. You see, heavenly thinking has real and good earthly implications. It affects life now, thinking about the future. Now Paul reminds them that though they are to live lives fitting for heaven... We are to live lives fitting for heaven, but we're not yet in heaven. And that's why we're still straining. That straining for, striving for that goal, that medal. And they're told here to wait for the return of their Lord and Saviour. Because when the Lord returns, that's the resurrection. That's when their bodies will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so we see this in verses 20 to 21. Paul says... Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And now Paul gives his final appeal to stand firm. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So that's our passage. Only 11 verses. Now, these words that Paul wrote to the Philippians, they're actually the same words to us today, aren't they? You see, we're not too much different from those about 2,000 years ago. We're not too much different from their situation. Though we're cultures apart and worlds apart, we Christians today face those same issues. Because I suspect for many of us, we are just happy with life. We get on with life. We just get on. And those are the things that crowd our minds. The grind of work, of study, of sleep, of eating, dating, proposing, getting married, having babies. They're the things, they're the daily grind, aren't they? But how often do we set our minds on our future goal? The prize for Christians. 
You see, the race has not yet finished. How often do we see our lives as this long race, this marathon, where we're striving towards that gold medal that God has for us in heaven? I'm not sure that many of us have our mind focused on heaven. And I wonder why that's the case. Why is that the case? Well, perhaps we're just too concerned about our daily grind. These things are what's important to us. They're important. They give me satisfaction now. The future, well, that will come. Heaven will come one day. doesn't bother me now. I can just worry about my daily grind. Or perhaps we feel that life is already so good. It's just so good now. Just like those in Philippi, life was good. There's nothing more to strive for, nothing more to look forward to. And, and I sometimes feel that way. I quite often feel that way as well. I feel quite blessed. God has been kind to, to me and my family, blessed me with a great wife and three wonderful kids. God has blessed us as a family with a ministry here at this church to wonderful people like yourselves. And so often I feel life is good. What more do I want? Now I wonder whether you feel like that. There's nothing more to live forward to, look forward to. Nothing more to strive for. We already have our prize here on earth. Well, I think if our minds are thinking like that, where our minds are diverted from that future goal, I think it reveals something wrong with our thinking. It reveals something wrong about my own thinking. It reveals that I don't really understand, I don't really comprehend, I don't really know the goodness, the awesomeness of that prize, of that goal. I don't have a big enough view of what that prize is, and that's why it's not on my mind. Because do you know how good heaven is? We talk about heaven, but do you know how good heaven is? How awesome it will be to have resurrected bodies. Do you know how good that is? To spend eternity in the glory of God, seeing Christ face to face. Do you really know how good that is? I mean, just a moment in heaven will, will make all the joys and happiness in our whole life look quite small. So just imagine the lady... I spoke about at the beginning. She suffered child abuse. Her life was damaged. We did speak about heaven, but perhaps for many people that sounds like just empty promises, empty words, no earthly good at all. But is that the case at all? Is that the case? Because heaven is real, and for that person, in heaven there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. That person will be a brand new person, raised to resurrection life, and it will be awesome for that person. That is the prize that she has to look forward to. Heaven is awesome. Now let's think about those children born with congenital dis disabilities, deformities, it's always heartbreaking to see and to hear about those, those cases. Those born with heart problems, with mental illness, autism, those kids born without limbs. Or to think about older people with arthritis that's almost unbearable, those suffering from dementia, 
They can't even recognise their own children. You see, for them, for all of us, heaven, that prize in heaven, is what they have to look forward to. All those things will be done away with. They'll have resurrection life for all eternity. And it will be awesome. So find that often our view of heaven is very small. If we see what heaven really is like, we want to be thinking about it. We want to be striving for it. Because that is what we'll have. Because resurrection life means also that our lives will be just like Jesus. Perfect. Fitting for heaven. That is the prize. That is the goal. And we strain onwards towards that goal. We can't be complacent with our life now. And it's very easy for Australians to feel complacent because we have so much here. But it is better in heaven. And so we continue to strive, straining forward towards that goal, that prize that God has for us. And just as Paul reminded the Philippians of their citizenship, where they ultimately belong. As we read this passage, we're reminded of that too. In, in Australia, in Melbourne, what do people work for most? What costs the most in, in your whole life? It, it's your home, isn't it? It's your home, and people work hard for that. And, and we tend to get sucked into thinking that way as well. We need to establish our home. We spend our life paying off our home thinking that that's going to be our home. But that's wrong, is it? That is wrong. Our home is not here. Our home is not made of bricks and wood, whatever else they're made of. Our home is in heaven. And that should transform the way we think now. And this is the reason why I admire missionaries so much. I admire missionaries so much. Think about what they're doing. They're giving up the, uh, the safety, the comfort, the nice houses they have here in Australia. They're going to places where there's no running water, no electricity, going to countries where the living standard will be the, below the poverty line in Australia. And if you think about it, many missionaries go overseas with their children, young children. If you think about people in our church, the Vineses, Three kids. And now Ian and Rachel Campbell going over with Olivia. She just turned one. Going over to Turkey. Why would anyone do such a silly thing? Not to give their family the best education. Not to give their family the best health care. Not to give their family the nicest homes. Well, you know why? Because they know for certain that their real home is not here in Melbourne, it's not over in Turkey, but it's in heaven. That's the real home of Olivia. It's not Australia, it's not Turkey. And so they are willing to make that move. They know where their home is. They know where their citizenship is. And so if we have people thinking that way in our church, living that way in our church... What are we like? What are we like? Are these just the things of missionaries? Must we think like them or not? What are we like? Are we living our lives building our own homes? 
Do we really believe that our home is in heaven? You see, we must be heavenly minded, mustn't we? Because when we're heavenly minded, it makes a whole lot of good for how we live now. Because we live for the right things. This is the way it is. Now let me finish now with these words from C.S. Lewis. He came to realise this. This is what he says. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that have become so ineffective in this. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Let's pray.